Weird times, creepy crimes, and unexplained phenomenon. If it's weird and it's in Florida, it's on the SoFlo Weird Show. Here's your host and head weirdo, Mia Lorenzo. Welcome, weirdos. Thanks for joining me. Time, the one sure thing that's always moving forward, albeit too fast because I'm always losing track of it. Time travel, according to scientific theory, is thought to be beyond our reach, though the fascination of it is the stuff of movies. Where the vessel is a DeLorean retrofitted with a flux capacitor, or the magical time-turner necklace Hermione Granger wore in Harry Potter. But what if we didn't need these mythical devices? What if time just came up behind us, tapped us on the shoulder, and when we turn around, we are transported to a previous moment that existed long ago? These are called time slips, a phenomena that happens when a moment from the past spontaneously intrudes on the present through seemingly unexplained means. There are numerous documented cases around the world where this has happened. Today we're going to talk about this mystery with someone who has experienced this firsthand. And he's no mere mortal. He's a scientist of time because his expertise is the study of people and cultures from ancient civilizations. He's archaeologist Bob Carr, co-founder and executive director of the Archaeological and Historical Conservancy. He has worked with the State of Florida's Division of Historic Resources and with the National Park Service. He was Miami-Dade County's first archaeologist, but before all these accomplishments, Bob's fascination with artifacts and fossils began at an early age. So you could say Bob has had his hands in dirt pretty much his whole life. <laughs> Welcome, Bob. Hey, well, thank you. It's so good to finally have you on the SoFlo Weird Show. We've had many conversations about all kinds of stuff. But before we begin with the time slip story, tell us how and when you became curious about artifacts. When I was a boy uh, growing up in Miami, I was in one class in seventh grade, and it was a show-and-tell hour, and one of the students got up with a shoebox, and it was filled with these artifacts, these Indian artifacts, and he started showing pieces of pottery and pieces of shell, animal bone fragments, and I was so electrified by that because I couldn't imagine that in Miami, of all places, there could be anything that had to do with Indians other than the Seminoles. And so I asked the teacher earlier in a, on a different day about who the earliest Indians were in Miami, and she said the Seminoles, and I kind of accepted it, uh -huh. carte blanche, without yeah. knowing. So here is this student, Mark Green. He's standing up there with these other things, showing me that there's something else going on in Miami that I didn't know about, and I was incredibly curious. So I went up to Mark after the class. I said, Mark, can you show me where you found those on the Miami River? You said you found them on the river. He said, no, no, I can't show you. That's my special site. <laughs> so I finally, with uh, paying him three days' worth of lunch money, he oh, finally yeah. conceded. <laughs> That's good. That's a good story. <laughs> and so Mark and I went to the to the site. It was, I remember it was right near the end of the school year, and he showed me where he had found the artifacts, and there was this tiny little mound. mound was only about 10 feet in diameter. It was about two feet high, but it was very conspicuous in that it stuck up from the grounds around it, and at that time, that lot next to Brickell Avenue, where Size Rivergate is located now, uh, was a YMCA baseball field for kids. And we were in the back of the lot, closest to the Miami River, looking at this obvious Indian mound. And we decided at that moment that we would become archaeologists. And in doing so, we got our tools. 
we by this time had gone to the library in downtown Miami. We knew now that there was a journal called the Florida Anthropologist, and we now discovered the word Dequesta, that there was an Indian group called the Dequesta that had lived in Miami. So we were going to be young archaeologists, and we were going to excavate this mound, not knowing that that was not a good idea. Oh, my God, that is that is an amazing story. Are you still in touch with this person? Yes, Mark and I are still friends. Oh, that is so cool. And he's in archaeology and as well? No, he ended did, up, he, he became did, a teacher. Oh, okay. That's so good. He, that was one of his careers, so he's done a lot of different things. But Mark and I, we talk every couple of weeks. That's cool. What a great story. You were, you were destined to be an archaeologist. Explain what you do and the services you provide. As an archaeologist, my main objective is to document, in the case of our archaeological and historical conservancy, whenever possible, preserve any of the significant archaeological heritage that is still part of Florida. And we have done that on a lot of different projects. But in today's world, and the reality of this rapid growth and development, we have been involved, so involved with uh, new construction, new development, where we've actually gone to properties prior to them being built on and determined whether there are archaeological sites are there. And if they are there, then we have often done excavations to document those sites when they can't be preserved. Let's talk about your time slip because that particular thing happened to you. Your time slip happened in Jupiter at the SUNY Sands property, and you were going to do an assessment there, correct? Well, when I saw the Sunny Sands parcel for the first time, which was this occasion in 2012, and I had been doing work on the north side of Jupiter Inlet, which is where the Jupiter Lighthouse is preserved and maintained, and we had been doing a lot of work with the Loxahatchee Historical Society documenting the site there. I was very aware of all the sites around Jupiter, and on the south bank of the of Jupiter Inlet was a, a well-known mound preserved by the county called the Du Bois Mound. And I knew that there was another site, that which was on private property, which was, was on the Sunny Sands Trailer Park. And I knew about the site by having read about it, but had never seen it because it was on private property. And when I would drive by the gate into the trailer park, it had a very alarming looking sign that said no trespassing. And I never went in to look at it. But I could look at the map, which is a USGS map, and I could see the mound as outlined by the contours on the map, as well as a house on top of the mound. So one of the times I was at Jupiter Lighthouse, I was with Tim Harrington, who is our architectural historian. And I said, Tim, uh, you know, before we go back to, uh, to Fort Lauderdale, why don't we just swing into that Sunny Sands, uh, the trailer park? I said, e you know, the, the gate is open. You know, people go in there all the time. I think we can just drive in. Just We'll just drive in boldly. And so we did. He was driving, and so we make the turn. We go in there, and it's, it's just filled with trailers, as you would expect. And then at the very end of the road, which is called Anchor Road, uh, I see all the trailers are gone. I go, oh, that's great. And then all of a sudden, I see the elevation of the mound. It's very prominent. It's about six feet above the surrounding area, six to eight feet in some places. And there's an old house uh, standing on top of the mound. And I, I say, Tim, well, that's great. Look, the mound is still here. And look, there's the, the house. And I have the map. I said, it's, it's the same house. That's great. And he said, well, should I, do you want to stop and take a picture? I said, no, no, let's just get out of here because we're trespassing. So he, he makes a U-turn and we leave. Never think anything about it. Several years later, 
were contacted by the new developers of this property who had bought the, the uh, Sunny Sands trailer park. And now because of local ordinances, they're required to do an archaeological and historical assessment of the property. So I'm excited to be able to actually do work there. And I go there for the first time to meet with the property manager. And we park up near the office, which is near the front of the road on A1A. And then we walk back in there. Well, he actually has got a little golf cart. We go back there with him. And, uh, you know, the whole area is filled with trailers where several years ago, it must have been two years earlier. And I, I said, wow, what you, you, what, you moved all these trailers in here since? And, and I said, well, where's the house? Did you, you tore down the house? And he looked at me incredulously. He said, what are you talking about? He said, there hasn't been a house there in 50 years. Oh, my God. And I was so stunned by that. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah, that, look, these trailers have been here since the 1960s. Wow. Okay, and I couldn't sort that out. I couldn't make any sense out of that. Yeah. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and reviewing it with Tim, and he, too, was very puzzled. Uh, he didn't spend a lot of time absorbing the information like I did because I, my mission or my objective right. was I wanted to see this site, and I had this idea of it based on what I read and looking at this map. So were you aware of the history before you went in? I know when you went into Sunny Sands, it was like sort of a side trip to what you were doing. Were you aware of the history of that property before you went on there? The only history I knew was that there was an Indian site there. I knew nothing about the details of the development of the trailer park or the Sperry House, as it turned out to be. And let's just refer who Sperry House is. Uh, well, Spurry was, I think, the founder of a coupon stamp company, and he became very, very wealthy as a result of that. I think it's one of the first stamp programs where you get these stamps from shopping. I think my mother used to collect those stamps. And uh, so with all the money he made, he decided that he was going to have a winter home in Jupiter. Yeah, I mean, for, for our younger audience out there, this, this was equivalent to the first rewards program. People get rewards cards now. Mm -hmm. You would go shopping. You would get these stamps lick them like crazy. I know my mother did. And then I think you're able to redeem them in a catalog for goods or even cash. So it was very, very popular back in the day. Take me back to the moment when you hear that, what are you kidding me? That house has been gone for like 60 years, 50, 60 years. What was the first thing you did? Did you call Tim? Well, I did shortly afterwards. Yes. And, and I went over that with him and he was a uh, he was just astonished, and he said, oh, there must be some mistake. I said, well, no, we that's where we were, and, and there's no house there, and it's filled with trailers, so something's changed, and at first, I thought maybe the manager was wrong, and I and but the more I talked to him and other people, I realized, and the including the people still in the trailer, and uh, trailers that were living there, they'd been there, some of them for 20 or 30 years, so I knew this was something really bizarre that had happened. Up to that point, had you heard of time slips before? Was it something that was even on your radar? Like I never heard of the term time slips. I, the only thing I'd ever read was that infamous case in Versailles where two English teachers had that extraordinary experience of having gone there as tourists in the early 20th century. And I, was, I knew that story. I didn't even connect it to my story at that time. But that's the only thing I had ever heard about so-called time slips. Yes. By the way, there are a lot of time slip stories out there if you want to look them up. I mean, uh, a lot of them seem to be like in Europe, 
or London, and there's one street where it happens all the time, like a particular area. So yes, very interesting if you want to go look that up. Okay, so though you were looking into past records, because now you're doing assessment on this on this property, were you also looking for some, you know, the scientist in you also looking for some kind of evidence to approve or disprove the right. concrete uh, That's facts. correct. I, I wanted the facts, <laughs> just the facts, ma'am. That's all I wanted. And looking at the aerial photos, studying and uh, the, the records, I had to conclude that there was no house there in any recent decades, and, and whatever I experienced was something really unusual and weird. Were there certain key factors that you found as it relates to your time slip? There, There's an actual photograph you saw of the house? We did find a photo of the house, and you could see it was a one-story house sitting right at the very top of the mound. It has an ascending concrete staircase, which is still there, by the way had two lions on either side of the stairwell, which has uh, since been removed, but it has a long history of, uh, of photographs and other kinds of documentation. I do know in my research that I found out that the house, I think, was demolished in 1964. 1964, right. Now, it is believed that time slips can be induced by something called a trigger factor, which occur when, when one is interested in their surroundings, but maybe not wholly concentrating on them. Do you feel this could have been the case with your first visit? Well, I certainly had in my mind that I wanted to see the mound. I wasn't thinking of anything about the house. And so there certainly was that um, desire, uh, and that could have been that kind of trigger that somehow created this phenomenon. Uh, now, Tim didn't have any kind of trigger other than me telling him, hey, let's pull in the driveway. <laughs> You're the instigator in this, right? right. But he participated. So what really caught my attention wasn't just the experience I had, is that Tim had the same experience, although it didn't have the same effect because he wasn't really focused on it the way I was. Reading up on this, there are other explanations of what it could be. You know, there's skeptics out there that say, well, it's just a hallucination or maybe it's a haunting. You know what I mean? But I don't really see that. I don't know about you because I don't see that two people can hallucinate the same exact thing in that moment. And usually a haunting is, it doesn't, necessarily change your entire surroundings of like time and place. So what do you think you took away from this? Well, I think it made me realize that the, the physics of what a time slip might be is perhaps partially explained with Einstein's idea of relativity. And frankly, what I've come to believe is that time is a construct, an artifact of we humans at the current moment, that we perceive time sequentially because we are thinking, breathing, moving in a certain way as a biological organism. But the fact that we experience time and that sequencing doesn't mean that it doesn't exist in a uh, much more of a universal way. In other words, what I mean is that, for example, in the old, uh, you go to the movie theaters and it was a 35 millimeter film, you're sitting there and you're experiencing the film through a sequencing of time because it's linked to our senses. But at the same time, we can walk up to the projector room, we can take the whole film off of the projector and we can say, look, this is all of that time and it exists simultaneously. So I've come to this idea that time is simultaneous as a series of infinite points, but we only are limited and constrained in our experience because of our biology. Wow. <laughs> That's a good takeaway. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, it really made me think. I yeah, really think it, about it, it does make me think too. I mean, when I was reading about it, it's a little hard to consume or figure out. I think we don't have a, 
a thorough understanding of, of no. the experience of time. If you think about the word time, it's just something that we created. That word is something, it's not yeah. just a word. It, it's an idea linked to a uh, what we're experiencing. But it's certainly linked to us as human beings, this idea of time. And obviously things change, and so change equals time. But I just think it's much more simple, strangely enough, and complicated at the same time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, Bob, thank you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to share it. Yeah, thank you. And uh, you will be back because I know Bob is full of more stories. And you promised to take me on a dig, right? That's correct. Okay, so we'll do that next time. You're thank you. You have your own time slip. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. That was archaeologist Bob Carr talking about his time-slip experience at Sunny Sands in Jupiter, Florida. As for me, I can't say I've experienced a time-slip, but I have experienced a sort of time-connectedness, meaning two subsequent occurrences that can't be explained by cause and effect relate to one another. Sometimes it seems as if my thoughts or actions are in sync with whatever outside forces of nature there are and the universe responds by providing me with the answers or a subtle sign confirming those thoughts. My life is a mere thread of coincidences. Here are just three examples. Let's start with Bob Carr. Four days before I was to interview Bob about his time slip experience, Michelle and I were cleaning and organizing some bookshelves when we came across a stack of old mysteries magazines dating back to 2004. I had held on to these because, as you know, my fascination for weird goes way back. Nonetheless, I decided to keep them for potential topic ideas and set them aside. Two days later, I picked up the magazines, and right there, on the cover, the caption read, the mystery of time slips. I thought, hmm, how convenient is that? Here's another one where my thoughts seem to manifest into a forced physical action to do something I'd been meaning to do. A longtime dear friend of mine lives around the corner for me. I mean, around the corner. We both live in houses we grew up in, so our friendship goes way back to high school. We even double dated at prom and have so many fond memories. She is so close to me geographically, and yet I have not seen or talked to her in a while, and for no good reason. We just get caught up in life. I was feeling guilty for not getting in touch with her. Then one day, I reach into my mailbox and see a bright orange envelope. It looked like it could be a Halloween greeting card, but it had her name on it with my physical address. Now, what are the odds of that? It's as if the universe was telling me, no more excuses. Here's your chance to reconnect. Now let's talk about what happened to me this morning, at least as I sit here and write these thoughts down. It's my birthday, and I just got off a video call with my mom and sister who are vacationing in Sicily. It was wonderful to hear all about their adventures. It really made me feel connected and close. As soon as I got off the call, I grabbed my coffee and sat back to enjoy my Sunday paper. Yes, the actual newspaper. And the first headline I see is, With Love from Sicily, an article about a new restaurant that opened up in Lighthouse Point where every dish is made with love. There are many more occurrences like these, but you get the point. As a normal, time stresses me out, but I have to remind myself not to worry so much. Things come to me, and I get what I need when I need it, all in due time. 
In keeping with our stories of time slips, I will share with you excerpts from Mysteries Magazine. This is from an article called On the Edge of Time by Tim Swartz. By the way, a little bit about Mr. Swartz. He's an Emmy-winning television producer and videographer and author of several books about the strange and unusual, including The Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla, America's Strange and Supernatural History, Tim R. Swartz's Big Book of Incredible Alien Encounters, and Time Travel, Fact, Not Fiction, just to name a few. As a photojournalist, he has traveled extensively and investigated paranormal phenomena and other unusual mysteries from such diverse locations as the Great Pyramid in Egypt to the Great Wall in China. His background is extensive, and we'll have a link on our website for more information. And now, on the edge of time. Two sides of the same coin. Time travel, according to modern scientific theory, may still be beyond our grasp. Yet, for a number of people who have had unusual time-slip experiences, time may be easier to circumnavigate than expected. A classic example of a time-slip is described by Lynn in Australia. Lynn lived in a small outback town that was built in 1947 and had changed little since that time. In 1997, she was driving toward the main intersection of the town when suddenly she felt a change in the air. It wasn't the classic colder feeling, but a change, like a shift in atmosphere, she explains. As she slowed down at the intersection, she was suddenly transported back in time to the 1950s. The road was dirt, the trees were gone, and coming toward her to cross the intersection was a black car, something like a Vanguard or old F.J. Holden. As the car passed through the intersection, the driver looked back at Lynn in astonishment. From what she could see, he was dressed in similar 1950s fashion, complete with hat. This whole episode lasted perhaps 20 seconds and was repeated at least five times during her time there, always at the exact spot. She tried to make out the registration plate, but the plate numbers were covered in dust. Derek E. tells another interesting story. When he was a child, his father was a taxi driver in Glasgow, Scotland. One day in the late 1960s, Derek's father was driving in the north of the city along Mary Hill Road near Queen's Cross, one of the older parts of London. One minute it was now, Derek writes, cars, buses, modern clothes, and tarmac roads, and the next thing my dad was in some earlier time. It was pre-Victorian, given the clothes he described people wearing, horses, rough road, and lower buildings. It lasted as long as it took him to be aware of it, and then it vanished. He was back in now. Derek also reports that in the 1980s, he and his wife were on vacation at the coastal village of Staithes. They had parked at the top of the village and were making their way down on foot. It was a sunny day with lots of other people around, but as they made their way down, it suddenly seemed as if no one else was there but Derek and his wife. Suddenly, an old woman appeared on the footpath opposite them, wearing handmade black clothes with big, hand-sewn buttons. The light had dimmed and it was immediately colder out. In the time it took Derek to turn to his wife and say, did you see that? The old woman had disappeared, and the son and all the people had returned. Derek's wife had also seen the same old woman and felt the same chill. Derek's experience seems strikingly similar to traditional ghost stories where an individual appears out of his normal location or time, accompanied by a change in the surroundings of the witness. Time slip trigger factors. 
Martin Jeffrey, co-editor of the paranormal e-zine MysteryMag.com, speculates that time slips can be recreated or induced using a trigger factor that occurs when one is interested in his surroundings but is not concentrating on them. He cites the account of parapsychologist and author Joan Foreman, whose interest in time slips took her to Hayden Hall in Derbyshire, England. Joan entered the courtyard of Hayden Hall, pausing to admire the architecture. Without warning, she saw a group of four children playing at the top of the stairs. A girl of about nine years old caught her attention. She had shoulder-length blonde hair and wore a white Dutch hat and a long green gray silk dress with a white collar. Joan watched the children playing in the yard, fully aware that she was not seeing with the physical eye, yet conscious of watching real action. After the episode, Joan decided to find the identity of the oldest child and entered the hall to look at the family portraits. In the middle of the ancestral paintings hung a picture of the girl she had seen, Lady Grace Manners, who died in the 1640s. What can be concluded, then, from these anecdotal tales? Did these people actually travel, albeit briefly, into the past to glimpse scenes that once were? Or were they caught up in a form of haunting, where, like an old movie, they saw a scene that had somehow been implanted in a location and allowed to play back for those sensitive enough to pick up the lingering impressions? It could be that the witnesses trigger time slips, whether they blank their minds at a precise moment and the slip occurs, or they touch something that holds the memory of a previous time. The simplest explanation is probably the psychometric hypothesis. In the mid-19th century, Dr. Joseph Rhodes Buchanan of the Covington Medical Institute performed experiments that convinced him that certain of his students could hold letters in their hands and accurately describe the character of the writer. He subsequently became convinced that all objects carry their history in them. However, if time slips are a form of haunting, then it could not explain the experience of a Mr. Squirrel, who, in 1973, went into a stationer's shop in Great Yarmouth, England, to buy some envelopes. He was served by a woman in an Edwardian dress and bought three dozen envelopes for a shilling. He noticed that the building was extremely silent. There was no traffic noise. On visiting the shop three weeks later, he found it completely modernized. The assistant, an elderly lady, denied that there had been any other assistant in the shop the previous week. Even though the envelopes disintegrated quickly, Mr. Squirrel was able to track down the manufacturers who said that such envelopes had ceased to be manufactured 15 years previous. How can a haunting produce such physical evidence? Perhaps there is a natural phenomenon that, under the right conditions and location, can briefly produce a doorway to another time and place. Even though this may sound outrageous, this natural time machine may demonstrate that our modern concepts of time need to be reconsidered. With the right frame of mind and the right natural conditions, the barriers of time and space that have traditionally kept mankind locked into place may finally be broken allowing the mysteries of the universe finally to be revealed. Know of a weird place or have a weird tale to tell? Go to SoFloWeird.com. If you want more strange Florida stories, be sure to visit us on Facebook and Instagram. You can find us by searching at SoFloWeird. And please join our SoFlo Weirdos Facebook group, where we share Florida's dubious tales every week. 
As a fan of the SoFlo Weird Show, there are many ways you can become involved. Our goal is to create a community of weirdos who celebrate all things strange in the Sunshine State. Soon we'll be launching a membership with exclusive benefits and some really cool events. But for now, here's how you can join our team. You a super fan and weirdo to the core? Then consider joining our SoFlo Weird Street Team. Get free stickers and represent us on social media with the hashtag SoFloWeirdStreetTeam. Just send us a message on social media or through our website and you'll be on your way to street team status. Like what you hear on this podcast? Then consider giving us a review and please share with your friends. If you wish to support the SoFlo team and our freakish mission to entertain your insatiable appetite for weird stories, then go on our website, pick up some SoFlo swag or buy us a coffee and we'll give you a shout out on the show. I'm Mia Lorenzo. Thank you for listening to the SoFlo Weird Show. Special thanks goes to our weird announcer, Joe Johnson, and Michelle McArdle for promotion and production assistance. This has been a Sideshow Charlie production inspired by Florida's master of the weird, Charlie Carlson. Stay weird, everybody.